Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of A Trophy Life, the official podcast of the Naismith Awards here in Atlanta. I'm your host, Bob Rathman, and my guest this week, longtime NBA referee Bob Delaney. We'll talk with Bob about officiating. He's now an SEC special advisor for officiating, but we also delve into Bob's backstory that began when he, long before he started refereeing, he was a New Jersey State trooper who went undercover to infiltrate the mob. We'll talk about some of that. We'll also talk about his brand new book, Heroes Are Human. And we talk about post-traumatic stress, a lot of interesting things with Bob Delaney in just a moment. We begin with our Jersey Mike's news and notes, and we are two weeks away from tip-off. Can't wait to get the new season started. November 7th is the magic date. Oscar Shibway of Kentucky, who is our reigning Jersey Mike's Naismith Men's Collegiate Player of the Year. He was a unanimous selection, along with Gonzaga big man Drew Timmy in the AP's preseason All-America team that came out this week. They were joined by North Carolina forward Armando Baycott, Houston guard Marcus Sasser, and Indiana forward Trace Jackson Davis. We'd also like to salute our 2022 Naismith College Officials of the Year, Ron Dressander as the 2022 Naismith Women's College Official, and the late Dale Kelly as our Men's College Official of the Year. We started handing out these awards back in 1988 to recognize individuals who display great character, integrity, and dignity, and have contributed mightily to the growth and success and viability of college basketball. Ron Dressander worked primarily in the Midwest. He called 17 NCAA women's tournaments, including nine Sweet 16s, worked a Final Four back in 2000. And the great Dale Kelly, who was just a fantastic referee, he passed away this past August. He worked on the court for many, many years in the Metro, OBC, and SEC. He worked three straight Final Fours in 78, 79, and 80, and then was a tremendous supervisor for 25 years in the Big 12, Conference USA, etc. So we want to salute not only Ron Dressander, but the late Dale Kelly as our officials of the year. And that sort of dovetails into our conversation this week with Bob Delaney. You'll want to get the book after hearing this interview and read all about it. Not only Covert, which is the story about him going undercover, but also his latest this week. It's out now called Heroes Are Human. We'll talk with Bob Delaney after this from Jersey Mike's. Jersey Mike's would like to dedicate the next three seconds to our new grilled portobello mushroom and Swiss sub. Trust us, it tastes good too, because fresh ingredients make a sub above. Well, it is a, an honor and a privilege to welcome our next guest on to the podcast this week. Uh, for many basketball fans, you know the public face of Bob Delaney as a longtime NBA referee, a finals ref uh, for over two decades, and still doing great work in the SEC as a special advisor for officiating. But the other Bob Delaney, it, this is just the tip of the iceberg when we're talking basketball because this man has uh, an amazing story, and he's got a brand-new book out that we want to talk about. But first and foremost, welcome, Robert Delaney. It is good to hear your voice. Thanks, Bob. Great to hear yours. Wow, where to begin? Uh, let's talk first about the book, and we'll work our way back. How about that? Uh, you've got a brand-new book out, which I cannot wait to read, Heroes Are Human which is lessons in resilience, courage, and wisdom from the COVID front lines. But it's not a book about COVID, Bob. It's a book about 
stories about people and what they've been through, the stress and trauma that we all went through and are still going through in many cases with COVID. Tell us about the book and, and what was the spark to get you to write it? Yeah, thank you. Um, Bob. The reason that I wrote the book is I was driving by hospitals where I was reading heroes work here signs in front of every medical facility that I was driving by during COVID. And as we'll go into the conversation, my background is in law enforcement prior to getting into the MBA. I did a long-term undercover job uh, for three years of my life, but became another person and infiltrated the Genovese and Bruno crime families in New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia, Florida areas. Um, what I knew is that people used to refer to me as a hero for the work that I did in doing that undercover work or a tough guy. And um, I didn't feel like one. In, in fact, I felt hypocritical when people would say that because I knew the fear that I lived under. Uh, they didn't see me at 2 o'clock in the morning walking around pushing shower curtains back with my gun out, afraid they were coming to get me. So um, I, I understand in the work that I've been doing parallel to my MBA career for the past 40 years has been in the area of post-traumatic stress. And I know when trauma comes to us, um, and, and, and I work with the Harvard Global Mental Health. I was a student in the, in the program, and now I present. And Dr. Malika, who's the director, has a very simple statement. He said that trauma is inescapable in life. And it's so true. We are all susceptible to trauma. It's a human condition, not a mental illness, when we talk about post-traumatic stress. And it comes from an automobile accident. It can come from hurricanes, comes from tornadoes, from, from natural events. But if we put another tagline onto it, those who serve are in the higher risk group because they go where trauma is, our military, law enforcement, firefighters, first responders. And what I realized for our healthcare community, trauma comes in the front door. So I wanted to tell the stories of what they experienced during their war with an invisible enemy over the last couple of years and are still fighting it. So I thank you for underlining. This is not a story about COVID. It's a story about the men and women who serve us and taking care of us during difficult times. What did you learn about these people? Well, very, very similar to the giving heart. They're givers in the game of life. They take care of everyone else. And just like our military, law enforcement, firefighters, first responders, at times they forget to take care of themselves. And so my hope is to be able to shine a light on this subject to help them understand that self-care is not selfish. We need to take care of ourselves in order to be the best that we can be in, in helping others. And that the stories that I heard over and over of the selflessness and, and, and service above self were amazing. And putting themselves in harm's way, you know, never were they afraid of bringing cancer home or a broken leg as they did their work. But then they had to be afraid of bringing COVID home. And if they're willing to do things for people they don't even know, imagine how concerned they would be for the people they love. So hearing stories of sleeping in, in garages, uh, taking their clothes off uh, and, and, and washing down with hoses before they would go into their own homes, um, just are, are really small parts of all the stories that I heard. Bob, you've always had a servant's heart. Um, it started, you know, your dad was in police work, um, but you've you've always had this uh, this giving spirit about you. Um, 
how how in the world did you get into basketball uh, officiating? I mean, this, they're screaming at you, they're yelling at you every night. You know, <laughs> just tell us about after because you know working the 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 book in the ESPN special called Covert uh, underlines all your work with the you know going undercover, which I, it blows my mind. Uh-huh. But you got back into basketball after that. Tell us about that. Yeah, Bob, what had happened was, um, you know, I, I was very fortunate. I had the best leaders in my life sitting across the dining room table every night for dinner, my mom and dad. And I was truly raised by a village with my grandparents, aunts, uncles, the community, my coaches, all having an influence on my life growing up. And when I um, played ball at the high school and college level, it was pretty successful. And, um, you know, my junior year, going into my senior year, I realized the NBA would not be calling. I was playing at New Jersey City University, and uh, so I tell the players <laughs> I came out early, too. Uh, I left early to take the state police test. And, um, and then I went into law enforcement, and um, that undercover job, as you said, is which is well-documented well documented in, in my book, Colbert, My Years Infiltrating the Mob, as well as different uh, shows that have, have done it, whether it be ESPN, HBO, CNN, a variety of them. Um, when I surfaced, I started having difficult times. And what I mean by that, I was dealing with post-traumatic stress. It took me a while mm-hmm. to be able to process and understand that. But with the help of a lot of other folks, um, but the only thing that made sense to me was getting back on a basketball court. And I couldn't play anymore. So I started refereeing fifth and sixth, seventh and eighth grade games and moved my way up. And then I was refereeing summer pro leagues in New Jersey, New York, Philadelphia area. And Daryl Garrison happened to be in the stands, who was the director of officials at the time, and asked if I was interested in the NBA. Um, I told him I never thought of it. My my vision would be that I would be a state trooper uh, for the rest of my life, and, and hopefully they'd be able to referee at the college level. I never refereed a college game. I went directly from the summer pro leagues into what was then the Continental Basketball Association, and then I got hired into the league in 1987. And I was there for 25 years as a referee and then uh, six years in management. During that time, I was the vice president of referees operations and the director of officials. And I tell people, when you're going through difficult times, find your inner peace. Basketball was my inner peace. And it also helped me understand that traditional therapies are not the only outlet for dealing with post-traumatic stress. What I used was basketball as a therapy. So today whether it's bicycle riding, horse ride, horseback riding, quilting, photography, even even um, like at some military post, I, I work with uh, soldiers in what I refer to as band camp, using music, their instruments, their songs, to be able to use it as a release, um, to, to allow post-traumatic stress to be out of their system to an extent. So the, the analogy I use about this I'd ask you and your audience to think that I'm holding the biggest balloon in the world by my hand above my head. How do I get the air out? I could take a pin and pop it and I'll get the air out, but I don't have a balloon anymore. I can let it go. It flies all over the room. It goes out the door. We don't know what happened to the balloon. But if we're patient and willing to listen to sounds we do not want to hear, and it may hurt our ears, we turn it upside down, let a little ear out, it makes that screechy noise. It's uncomfortable. But eventually we get all the air out of the balloon. We're going to have a full balloon we can use again one day. That's us with trauma. When we go through traumatic events, we need to talk about it. So peer-to-peer conversations need to take place. I used to refer to it as peer-to-peer therapy. 
talking to someone who has gone through something similar. But peer-to-peer therapy lends to a very medical-sounding term, and I believe we have over-medicalized this subject. This has been around forever. Sophocles wrote two plays about the warrior not knowing how to come home from battle, not knowing how to act after coming home from battle. After, after the Civil War, it was called Soldier's Heart. After World War I, it was called Shell Shock. After World War II, it was called Battle Fatigue. After Korea and Vietnam, it was referred to as flashbacks. Now we refer to it as post-traumatic stress disorder. It's a diagnosis. But I think that we have over-medicalized the conversation and scared people away from it. And please, I, I don't mean we don't, I, I'm not referring and saying that we don't need the medical side of the house. We do. We have tremendous resources. We just got to figure out ways to build better bridges. And that I see as myself being in a position to build better better bridges between those who need to be able to talk about the experiences they've been through and those who have the resources and and the expertise to help them. Bob, one of the things that we're so proud of here at the Naismith Awards is we recognize each year uh, the top collegiate official from the men and the women. And, you know, as a referee, not too many groups go out of their way to honor referees. And so this is quite an honor and award uh, for these uh, men and women. Uh, You're still teaching, of course, and consulting uh, referees and have your entire career. Uh, It's something we're proud of, and not to pat ourselves on the back, but just to to know that, you know, these these guys are human beings, too. They got families, and and a lot of them, and the the college level, still have businesses that they maintain, jobs they maintain, and still do this. It takes a special person to be a referee, doesn't it? Yeah, I appreciate that, and, and, and I appreciate the recognition. I think all of the officials do. Um, I, I say that all officials are professional officials. Uh, some just happen to officiate professional athletes. Professionalism is, a, is an expectation. And mm. so um, the dedication and commitment that it takes, and we are in a, a, a horrible drought right now as far as officiating. There are high school games being pushed from Friday night's football to Wednesdays and Thursdays because there's not enough officials to cover the games. The, the expectation of perfection has come with all the technology that exists. You know, when I came in the league, we were, we were two referees working a game. And we had no, we did not have replay. And yet replay with unattended consequences of trying to help get the calls right uh, has, has led the public and, and players and coaches at times to believe that officials are going to have perfection. I, I underline that perfection is not part of what we have an expectation for uh, when, when speaking of supervising officials or training them. We, are, we strive for excellence, and at times we're going to fall, fall short. Um, but the, the challenges every day, every game, going out, trying to be the best that you can be, and serving the game. We serve the game. We don't run the game or uh, in charge of the game. We serve the game, and that's our responsibility. And uh, the better officials understand that. I refer to three elements to an official's career, believability, credibility, and trust. And the believability comes when you look like an official, you, you, you seem to fit into what you're doing, you're, you have a believability when you walk out. When you do it night in and night out, credibility comes. And then there's a trust level that comes. It comes from the players, the coaches, the fans, the announcers, your fellow officials. There's a trust 
When Danny Crawford would walk out on an NBA floor, there was a trust. Even if he missed the first call, there was a trust that he was going to do this at a high level. And so each official is striving to get to that trust level. Bob, what's the coolest thing about being an NBA referee? You get to put your feet on the floor. Uh, there's only three groups of people that get to put their feet on an NBA floor uh, during the competition, and that players, coaches, and referees. So at, for me, up to 59, 60 years of age, I was involved in competition at the highest level of the sport. So that is a cool thing, but it's also the doors you can open for others, right? Mm-hmm. The opportunities. I, I know that those letters next to my name have opened doors and have allowed me to continue using this platform of having this conversation about what I refer to as mind health, not mental health, because it, it conjures up mental illness, mind health, that we, we continue to have this conversation. And the MBA has been of, of help, right? I, I, I'm an MBA Cares ambassador, and I've been doing work with uh, the military through our Hoops for Troops program. So all of these things kind of come together. You know, uh, sports is, is just another segment of society. And the ability of, and, and the capacities of sports to reach out to people, it, it, I see it every day. Wow. We, we could talk for another hour, Bob, but I know you got things to do. you got, uh, you got people to love and influence, and uh, the, the world's a better place because of Bob Delaney, I'll tell you that. Uh, thank you for your work, and, and thanks for working with these heroes. Yeah, I appreciate it. In two hours, I will be at a hospital um, and spending time. And what we're doing is it's really cool what society, the communities are doing is, is sponsors are, are purchasing the books and gifting them to the healthcare workers. So we're not asking them to buy them. I'm going around to different hospitals, whether it be in Georgia, Texas, Florida, New Jersey, New York, and uh, speaking with the healthcare community and thanking them and gifting them. Our whole concept is to honor, thank, and support our healthcare community. Well, Bob, thank you for your time. We encourage all to uh, read this book. Uh, Heroes are Human. Bob Delaney is the author. Uh, and and to learn more about Bob's backstory, too, before we got into officiating full-time, uh, the, the book that uh, was a page-turner for me, uh, for obvious reasons, uh, Bob Delaney, Covert, uh, My Years Infiltrating the Mob, uh, has been out for, for quite some time, and it is is a classic. I just loved every second of it, and we love every second we get a chance to spend with you, sir, and thanks for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate it. My honor. Thanks, Bob. Stay safe. Bob, thank you so much for taking time to be with us. Very interesting conversation. We're getting closer, and uh, coming up, we'll be announcing our watch lists for the men and the women, so stay tuned for that and more next week. Make sure you download us rate and review helps us get the word out to college basketball fans everywhere you can get our podcast on all the platforms and be with us as the new season cranks up until then for all of us here at the naismith awards bob rath been saying so long 